I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We, uh, if you have friends or family who might want to watch the show and don't live in this area, give them a call, tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com, click on the TV shows, there's some directions there, and they can watch Heart of the Matter from anywhere in the world, live through streaming video. We hope that they will uh, join us. In the house tonight... We have Lydia, Kyle, Jake, Mary Ellen, Tina, Kevin, Micah, Reed, and Brittany. We also have two other people that I want them to come up here just for a second. The, the director doesn't know I'm going to do this, but this couple uh, is from the northern area of Utah. And I had the privilege of, come on over and just gather right around here. I had the privilege of um, uh, meeting... Uh, Hank and Brenda uh, uh, several, um, oh, about a year and a half ago at, at a home meeting, which was really great, a heart in the, church, a heart in the home, and uh, talked with Hank at length, and, and he's a tough guy, man. This, this guy, he is tough. And then uh, a year later, I had an opportunity to visit their home when I spoke at a church up in their area, and Hank and I went into this beautiful room they have in their home and sat there and talked, and Hank gave his life to the Lord. And uh, it was a great experience. So I just want to say uh, I love Hank and, and Brenda. <laughs> I, I thought you were Brenda, and I almost kissed you. So uh, <laughs> that would have been good on yeah, TV. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, you guys. Okay. All right. Um, shout outs. We have a shout out to some guys on a fishing boat, and that's it. Also, to everybody who sent emails, I'm a little bit behind the gun because of, I was out of town, but we'll talk about those in a second. What a show we had last week. Sandra Tanner from Utah Lighthouse Ministry and Doris were just fantastic. Doris is the Shield and Refuge Ministry. Uh, I want to tell you that um, we had some fun times on that show and there was quite a bit of laughter. And, uh, you know, you can either laugh or cry in the face of some situations that we're talking about. There's nothing funny about a young girl being taken by a grandfather or an older man into marriage and her whole life being uh, destroyed that way. And Sandra doesn't think those things are funny and neither did Doris, but it was just the situation. And so we, did, we weren't laughing at people and the situation. We understand how that happens. We have a heart for those people. And uh, I'm speaking for both Sandra and Doris and saying it was just being here and the way it was going, that's what our laughter was about. We otherwise take that, that uh, situation very seriously so and as I always say on almost every show if you really want good information uh, go to Utah Lighthouse Ministry at www.utlm.org I really challenge you to do that if you have any questions and uh, check it out and see what you uh, think in a few weeks there is going to be an up uh, I mean actually a few weeks ago I was interviewed for a couple hours for an upcoming documentary film 
that's supposed to get a really broad release called A Mormon President, Joseph Smith and the Mormon Quest for the White House. Um, the producer-director, uh, his name is um, Adam, he takes a very unbiased approach. He interviews a lot of very well-established uh, Latter-day Saints and other people, and he just explores the whole political idea, and it's supposed to hit some really sizable venues. So I'm just giving you a heads up. Look for the release, uh, whether it be on some cable TV uh, networks or other places, the release of a Mormon president. Now, you might have noticed a slight change in my skin tone since last week, and this is because I just returned from three days at deep sea in Mexican waters on our first annual Heart on the Sea. A hearty shout out to my seafaring buddies, Jeremy, Doug, Ron, and Dale. Uh, true fish fishermen, great brothers in the Lord. Lots of fish were caught. We saw whales. We saw giant groups of dolphins. We saw giant squid and flying fish. Someone even caught a mako shark. Um, but best of all, we had the opportunity to pray with a backslidden Christian named Daryl, who after 23 beers decided that his life was a, in a wreck and actually showed real contrition and wanted to get back to that, his first love with the Lord. And we had an actual productive time and gathering around him and praying with him. And uh, so I pray that Daryl will now become a fisher of men and uh, move on in his life. We are going to do Pastor in the Pub tonight. It starts back up. Pastor in the Pub is now happening at Denny's on 5th South and 250 West. Denny's at 5th South and 250 West. Join us around 9.30 p.m. if you're interested in getting together there. I gave you the reasons why we did that last week. Many of you are aware that I fly the friendly skies quite frequently um, because of where I live. In the past 17 months, I've had the pleasure an opportunity of over 300 takeoffs and landings. And uh, with this much air travel, I've also had the privilege of being privy to a number of travel conversations that people have. Yes, I eavesdrop greatly while I'm sitting there. Now imagine for a moment that you're sitting on an aisle seat listening to two strangers converse. And what the strangers talk about with each other is somewhat indicative of what's most important in their life, of what's in their heart. It's like an opportunity to really impress people, but it can also and highlight their lives and the things that really make them shine. And so they kind of pull out the really important things that, that their lives are about. There's a great deal of liberty in conversing with a stranger on a plane. And so I, I, I have this opportunity all the time coming out of here to listen to people. And I obviously listen to a lot of Latter-day Saints talk. Those who have money at the top of their priorities talk all about money constantly. Those who have some hobby talk about the hobby. And it's just very intriguing when uh, these people start to converse. Men typically talk about their business deals. Men are usually very um, self-centered. Why I and I and I bought and I sold and I've been and I yada, yada, yada. Men just go on like that unless they're Christian men. And I've, I've heard a lot of truly Christian men don't even know what church they go to. But truly Christian men, somehow the conversation goes to the Lord. Somehow it goes to his word. Somehow it goes to a really good sermon or what life is really all about. If the passengers are women, they generally talk ad nauseum about their children. And um, then their homes and their travel and how they've decorated. 
and unless again they're Christian, and then they talk about the Lord and how their Lord, how their children relate to the Lord. So I've I've just noticed that pattern there. I've long taken notes of conversations in my mind, but this past two weeks ago I was on a flight and I sat down at the initiation of a conversation between two LDS women. And I actually took uh, paper out and I took notes. And I took notes to the entire flight of what they talked about. And I think that it's very revealing um, about what was said. Now in the course of their uh, initial conversation, I learned that they were uh, LDS women, that their husbands and families were very active in their ward and stake, that they were both married in the temple, that they were both believers, uh, according to what they were saying. One of them was a young wo woman holding a baby on her lap with a CTR ring on her finger. And the other was a middle-aged woman who mentioned having uh, her youngest child being in his 20s. What did their mouths reveal about the contents of their heart? The first 10 minutes were spent talking about children. In particular, the young woman's active little boy who was sitting on her lap. This seemed to be the icebreaker of the conversation. Then there was four minutes of general discussion about the church, followed by four more minutes dedicated to their past and present callings in the church. Five minutes were dedicated to their views about their present ward, including the Relief Society primary and youth leaders. One mentioned how wonderful her bishop was. A full 10 minutes were given to the topic of their homes and property, loan types, and things related to personal finance and equity accumulation. The next five or so minutes were uh, a kind of a rehearsal on their upbringings, how their parents were Latter-day Saints, how their brothers and sisters are all active, how they're Latter-day Saints. Then for five minutes, the, the conversation somehow slipped into a strange uh, discussion about animal bites and, and, and bee stings and uh, about someone who was recently hit by a stingray in the Pacific Ocean. Now, I've been stung by a stingray, so I sat there silently sharing in their pain. Three minutes later, we're dedicated to their husbands, who, relatively speaking, got very little discussion time between the two of them. Then a full 11 minutes was devoted to the very intriguing topic of boating and RVing, with each of the church sisters confidently sharing how they have either owned a boat, or they uh, uh, will own a boat, or they have owned a boat, and how important boating and activities are in their lives. There was a little anxiousness in this conversation at this point, and uh, they just really wanted each other to know how recreationally advanced and blessed they were in their lives. Then there was a full 10 minutes of silence, a full 10 seconds of silence, and a seven minute span entered on sports, primarily volleyball, which kind of uh, ended when both of them asked each other how tall they were. Then the question was answered with a counter follow up of uh, some other sports related questions. Childbearing came up. The actual process was discussed at length for 14 minutes. The dilation, the pushing here, the forceps there. It was truly interesting to hear this from a woman's perspective. And uh, oddly, it was followed by a five minute treatise on what kind of work they did. There came a, what does your husband do? And then someone said, what is your favorite temple? And then the other one said, I think the San Diego temple is the prettiest. What's your favorite temple? And then they continued to talk for several minutes about what temple they found was the prettiest and what temples just weren't very pretty to them. Finally, after naming all the pretty temples, they asked, did your husband serve a mission? There was a sudden bump, the plane landed, and an hour half passed, I was able to listen to two LDS women converse about the most important things in their minds and on their heart. It reminded me of the scripture in Luke that says, for of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. 
And for some strange reason, I thought about the fleeting nature of life. I wondered about my own conversations and how does my mouth reflect my heart. I thought I'd just share that with you to start off tonight. It's a little different, but there it is. I also want to give you the opportunity to know about Lord's Word. We meet every Sunday morning at the Gateway Theaters at 9.15 till 10.15. If you want to come to a place where we pray, we worship, and we study the Word and then leave to be Christians in our lives, that would be the place. Uh, you're all invited to attend. There's no programs. There's no classes. There's no membership. There's no roles. There's no obligation. We're not an institution. It's just a place to study the Word and praise God and learn about Him. Also, we meet on Sunday evenings at the University of Utah. You can go to our website at www.lordsword.org if you want the address and times. We meet at um, 7 o'clock at the University of Utah. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this airtime. We thank you for um, this ministry that you've opened up, and we pray that we will do your will. We pray for our audience members, for the people who are running cameras and in the back area, the volunteers. We uh, pray for the viewers at home that they will know the intent of our heart in sharing this information with them. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we've moved through church history, I've passed certain important elements that have make and have made Mormonism what it is today. Since the earliest days of the LDS Church, they have actively pursued missionary work throughout the world. Joseph Smith received revelations early in his formations of the church, which called men to, quote, study the doctrines of the kingdom in preparation to go out and preach to the people. Not long after the publication of the Book of Mormon, Joseph sent missionaries out and were primarily interested in, at first in reaching the American Indians with the Book of Mormon and their message. Samuel Smith, Joseph Smith's brother, was the first missionary the church uh, retained. He took an armful of Books of Mormon and headed upstate New York, where many LDS leaders were later converted, including Brigham Young. These missionaries quickly learned a few things. First, their message was better received outside of the New York area where Joseph Smith was known, like in Ohio. And second, the reception of the message was, was much uh, more readily accepted by the white people than the American Indians. In my opinion, and in a tone quite counter to the normal st stances I take regarding Mormonism and its doctrines and practices, the LDS Church sets the highest standard for missionary activities on earth. And I'm going to tell you why. And it's, it's intimidating when you hear the facts. Come hell or high water, disease, illness, or catastrophe, their history shows that Mormons have always invested in a continuous missionary effort worldwide. In 1974, Mormon prophet Spencer W. Kimball issued a call that said, quote, every young man should serve a mission. This statement helped usher in a long push in wards and stakes to present young men who are ready to serve two-year missions. Some of the things that make Mormon missionary programs so successful are these. They start by instilling the need to serve a mission, and that's how they refer to it in the LDS Church. Are you going to serve a mission? Did you serve a mission? And um, with boys at a very young age, bishops often ask the young boys in their congregation, have you started your missionary fund? That means, have you started saving, setting money aside for the time when you go out for the two years because they are self-supported usually? 
Then they begin to sing songs like, I hope they call me on a mission. When I grow a foot or two, I hope by then I will be ready to preach and teach uh, something like missionaries do. They also sing a song, I want to be a missionary now. These are little five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. I want to be a missionary now. And that, that's just ingrained in these young children from a very young age. As the boys mature, the lessons are continually escalating and getting them ready for this time when they turn 19 years of age. And then at 19, they're expected, and there's a great expectation for them to be prepared and ready to go serve this mission. The church also has something called a seminary program, which is really tailor-made to prepare people to be missionaries. So in the high school curriculum, they spend an hour a day going and learning the scriptures that they will use on their mission to convince people that Mormonism is true. In my day, a young man of almost any caliber was allowed to go on a mission. I think that's how I was allowed to go. Uh, I went to the bishop, got all my papers ready, submitted them, and waited to hear back from Salt Lake City where I would be assigned to my two-year mission. Now, from what I understand, when missionaries put their papers in, their bishop and stake president might make notes on there what they think. This missionary you need to be careful with or something like that. And then those papers are forwarded to Salt Lake City, and there's a committee called the Missionary Committee. And on that committee, there's an apostle, one of the 12 apostles, who oversees it. And they meet, what I've been told, on a Thursday. And the missionary's papers are, are passed to each person of the committee. And then a picture of them comes up on a slide. They submit a picture, and they show them that picture. And someone says, I think they should go to Tokyo, Japan. And the rest of the group says, yeah, I think that sounds like where they should go. And there's an agreement, and they go. Sometimes someone will say, I don't think... Tokyo's the place, and they give an alternate view, and maybe that's it. LDS people believe this is inspiration. They get a letter signed by a machine that says they have been called by the prophet, hand signature by the machine, and the missionary gets it and opens it up. When I opened my letter, it said I was called to the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania mission, and I was to serve for two full years. When I received my call, um, I started to look at missions a little differently. They are, in fact, genius. They are a genius social engineering uh, wonder. And I believe this because the time of the service that you give, when you're, when you're out there, everything is scheduled for these young men. It's, it's paramilitary. You go in and, and you do exactly what you are told according to this white handbook. And everybody is expected to do these same things at the same time. And then they, they, uh, it's a time and expectation of moral reform. The things that most 19-year-old boys would be doing in their lives, at this time, the LDS church has taken these guys and they've gotten them to throw their whole effort and mind and everything into Mormonism. Now, you got to remember, it's not into the Mormonism that we talk about here. It's into how Mormons present Mormonism to their missionaries. So that gets inculcated in their, in their minds and in their hearts at this time of their life. They are also, it's a time for them getting out of the world. It's a perfect time for them to start making life's decisions. And it's very hard when the LDS church sends two scrubbed, clean-shaven, white-shirted, tied 19-year-olds to your door who are smiling and knocking on your door for you to say, how intimidating can these guys be? It's ingenious. And you open the door and you let them in. And so they're very wise and smart on how they get those 19-year-old missionaries and use them effectively. Now, but a 19-year-old male's enthusiasm and zeal um, usually override the, the necessity of facts 
and usually override the necessity to give you the full story. This would be true in the military. You get uh, somebody in the military who's 19 and gung-ho has been taught to go in and get the enemy. You know, they almost will do anything to be successful in their mission. And the LDS Church, this, in their missionary program, does the same thing. LDS missionaries, like young soldiers, they are very sincere, are extremely susceptible to hyperbole, lying for the Lord, and saying whatever is necessary to get a person to listen to this important message of truth that they have. Most of them really believe what they are saying. They can shed tears and really believe what they're trying to tell you because it's been taught to them this way their whole lives. You can't put a price on this kind of devotion. It's interesting to me that when you look at the, and the cults, and I'm not calling Mormonism a cult, but when you look at cults, they always have this missionary zeal. Look at the Jehovah's Witnesses. Door to door, their whole families dressing up on Saturdays, going around to your track, knocking on doors, this missionary zeal. And so we look at, at the Christian church, how, how effective are we being uh, in that same thing? I want you to know that I completely enjoyed the missionary experience I had with the LDS Church. I think as far as moral molding and getting a 19-year-old ready to be a responsible adult, it's a wonderful thing. Like many things in the Mormon Church, wonderful earthly things. But you have to remember, what are they getting people to buy into? What is the missionary's purpose when they go to your door? Additionally, Mormon missionaries are effective not only because the missionaries are prepared over the course of their young lives, but they're also prepared by what's called the MTC experience. What started as a week-long training course in a home in Salt Lake City in 1925 became in 1960, due to the increased number of missionaries, a mission language institute which met in the Provo Hotel and buildings on BYU's campus. Spanish was the only language taught then. They branched out in 1960 to German, 61 to German and Portuguese, and by 1963 the MLI became the LTM, Language Training Mission, and taught 16 different languages. Then in 1971 they had 2,500 missionaries uh, being trained and it became apparent that they needed more room. So the LDS Church decided to build a mega superstructure to train missionaries. And in 1973, the missionary committee agreed to have it and they called it the MTC. And it's in Provo, Utah. And uh, it used to be that if you lived in the United States, you would go to the MTC to train for your mission. And if you lived in a foreign country, you just went to your mission directly. You didn't fly all the way into the MTC for that. Today there are MTCs in Preston, England, Buenos Aires, Argentina, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Mexico City, Mexico, Santiago, Chile, Bogota, Colombia, Lima, Peru, Guatemala City, Hamilton, New Zealand, Manila, Philippines, Tokyo, Japan, Seoul, South Korea, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, Madrid, Spain, Accra, Ghana, Johannesburg, South Africa. This is no small force we are facing here, folks. The majority of those missionaries have an instilled mindset to convert the people to the only true church on the face of this earth. Most of them are better prepared than ever before when it comes to the doctrinal problems that are presented on the internet and on this show. And most of them will present a picture that is very attractive according to how the world views goodness and truth. Just what do the missionaries do? They have a regimented schedule dictated by this white handbook 
Obedient elders and sisters obey this white handbook. They get up when they're told, they study what they're told, they read only approved materials, they leave their apartment at a specific time, eat at a specific time, and return home at a specific time, being in bed at a specific time. Their activities are curtailed extremely to exactly what they're supposed to do. They have one half of a day off called prep day till 5 p.m. and that's when they can do their laundry and write letters and do their shopping. They're told what to dress. And then every day they, are get, they get a phone call from a district leader who's also a missionary asking them what their numbers are. How many people did you see today? How many people did you teach? How many people converted to baptism or uh, committed to baptism? Did you baptize anybody? At week's end, those same numbers are reported to the district leader who then reports them to a zone leader. And every month, those numbers are reported to the zone leader who gives them to the assistant to the president, who gives them to the president of the mission, who sends them to Salt Lake City. These guys are on a mission, no pun intended. And they're out to get the unsuspecting to understand Mormonism in a very watered down, embraceable view. In recent years, the LDS Church tightened up the qualifications for those eligible to serve a mission today. It is the prospective missionary's bishop to ensure that a young man or young woman is eligible. Like I said before, you could almost come from any background and serve a mission. Today, you cannot have any, any dependent children. You cannot be a young couple of childbearing age. Those who have not taken care of their debts cannot go on a mission. Those who are on probation or parole cannot serve a mission. Couples with unresolved marital problems cannot serve a mission. Those with HIV positive cannot serve a mission. Those who have fathered or mothered a child out of wedlock can't serve a mission. Those convicted of sexual abuse, those who have paid for or encouraged an abortion, men under 26 who have been divorced, and women under 40 who have been divorced cannot serve a mission. And anyone who has participated in a homosexual activity after the age of 15 cannot serve an LDS mission. This is all from the Church Handbook of Instruction, Book 1, State Presidencies and Bishops, Salt Lake City, 2006, pages 92 through 94. Today, there are approximately 56,000 Mormon missionaries serving in 330 missions throughout the world. Two years dedicated if they're young men, 18 months if they're women, 21 years of age and older, and there's also couples who serve mission. What exactly do they do? They teach gospel essentials, faith, baptism, repentance, accept the gift of the Holy Ghost. They talk a little bit about the Godhead. They talk a little bit about apostasy and the authority to act in God's name being lost from the earth through the dark ages. And they get there, in my opinion, it is a giant numbers game. They, attend, they go and they hit as many people as they can and a certain number of them are not going to listen to those preface uh, lessons that they give and they just discard them. They're not, gonna, they're not there to argue with you or to teach you. If you bring up Joseph Smith's polygamy, we don't care. You just test it. We don't care. They go on and then they find someone who's willing to listen and they advance them through the discussions and their whole purpose is to commit them to baptism. 
Once those people have been baptized, have them just been given the surface information of the Mormon church, the bishop and the ward mission leaders and the leaders of that ward congregation take that new member in and get them involved. They give them a calling very quickly. They advance them through priesthood quickly and they keep them active and moving. These new converts never hear the stuff that we talk about on this show. It's not until years later after they've learned all the gospel basics, the gospel essentials, that they're invited in to go into a gospel doctrine class to be a high priest in the church and that's when they start hearing about these other things and that's when they're more prepared to either go through the temple or not and then when they go through the temple their eyes are really open by everything and by then they are so involved and their kids have been members long enough that it's very very difficult to leave what can the christian community do to offset this powerfully organized and orchestrated system of worldwide influence that's a rhetorical question if you have a comment or thought on that call tonight, I'd like to hear what it is because I don't know the answer. I'm going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Let me, uh, as the operators are getting those calls, let me read a few uh, emails. This is from Paul. He says... Uh, my brother, I read your book. I did exactly what you recommended in the book. And what you said happened did. A new life is in the making. Praise God. He was LDS. From Rob, uh, who says, You have a host who is decently knowledgeable. Don't let your guests say things that aren't true. Sean knows they've crossed into fiction. At 11 a.m. today, a lady on his left, that would have been Sandra, said, There needs to be a book of Mormon doctrine. My suggestion, uh, Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine. Uh, it's really funny that Rob here actually thinks that he's correcting Sandra Tanner on her uh, statement that there needs to be a book on Mormon Doctrine. Those of you who knows what, knows what she was saying was, we need to have a real book that is readily accepted as authoritative as Mormon Doctrine. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie's book is not, Rob. So sorry about that. Karen and Holiday Online too. in just a second. Uh, that's another one from Rob. Lucy uh, wrote, do you think you fully understand the principle? Talking about the principle of polygamy. I no more under fully understand the principle, Lucy, than I fully understand pedophilia. But uh, uh, I know kind of the essence of it, and I don't think I want to know more. So hopefully that helps. David, a Christian, can you please let me know why you cho chose the Radical Reformation doctrines and its ministries and churches to follow instead of the Ro Roman Orthodox, Orthodox churches? Uh, the reason I chose what you call the... Uh, oh, radial is what you say, Reformation doctrines, is because um, it found me. I came to know the Lord, and then as I was led by His Word and what I heard, it all... Uh, messed with the word and I went forward from there. I wasn't looking for another church. I was looking for a relationship and uh, uh, non-denominational Christianity provided that. All right, Karen and Holiday, line two. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes. Um, I wanted to make a comment about uh, a call from last week. Yes. Okay. Um, last week, someone called in and made the comment about um, Jacob and Esau. Do you remember that? Yeah. Where they said that Jacob had falsified and gotten Esau's blessing. Right. And 
looked at and had basically their theme was that they had gotten away with it. Uh-huh. Well, um, as I was telling the gentleman who answered the phone, he really didn't get away with it. No. Everything catches up with you. Yeah. When he went and he worked and he thought he was working to be able to marry Rachel, yeah. his father-in-law, his future father-in-law, uh, wasn't honest with him. And so, therefore, he uh, got Leah. And then he had to work again to get Rachel. So his deception caught up with him. Right. We might not see what's going to catch up with us immediately, but it always does catch up with us. Well, you're uh, right. I'm not sure. Last week, I think the conversation was more along the lines of lying for the Lord. I think the caller was trying to justify that, uh, you know, he lied and he was a great man. And I think the argument was that he wasn't a great, he was a liar. And uh, none of, no men are great men in the eyes of the Lord if they're still sinning. So, but I understand your uh, point is well taken as far as uh, your sin will find you out. And, uh, and that happened with Jacob through uh, him being deceived uh, regarding his wife. Right. And I think that any, any moral story within the Bible and that if the person makes a mistake, even David, it always, if you read further on, you find out that there is a consequence. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Karen, bye-bye. Bye. You know, on an earlier show today, The Infallible Word, we were I was talking about uh, something that's happened in my life, and it may happen in yours too, and that is um, Judas, Judas Iscariot was in charge of the money bag. Of all people, uh, with the disciples, Judas is in charge of the money. And, uh, and he starts complaining about Mary uh, anointing the Lord's head and feet with ointment because it was expensive. And then John goes on to say he, he didn't mind that uh, it was, he was a thief. He wanted, that, he wanted the money to be in the bag so that he could take more. He, he was just a thief at heart. And it's interesting that he was in charge of the money but a thief at heart. And the Lord knew what this man's heart was. He said he was a devil. And my point of this in saying this is, the things that you are stuck with in your life, that you have a problem with, if you are a professed Christian, you will constantly face that situation. If you have a problem with lust, with women, you are going to constantly be faced with meeting women and deciding how you're going to handle that. If you have a problem with gossip, you're going to get the greatest bits of gossip passed on to you, and, the little, and you're just going to be tested to see, are you going to take it and continue it on? You will constantly be taken back in front of these problems that you have particularly, and the Lord is then he's, he's having you pass those tests. He wants you to improve, and he's not going to take somebody who says, I'm a Christian, I'm good, and then who just continues to live any way he or she wants to. And so I have found in my life, going back before I was a Christian, these major mistakes I made, every single one of those mistakes, I've been taken almost geographically back to the areas where I made them, and faced with the same type of problem in order to overcome them and move forward. So it's something to consider. Maybe you see that same thing in your life. We're going to Jason in Salt Lake City on line three. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. Hey. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I, want, I wanted to say something from last week's show, but really quick here. You said that you want to find a way to bring down their empire. I know how to kind of do it. <laughs> with the missionary. See, here's the thing. This is what you do because you said call if you have an Okay. Idea. All right. Let's hear it. Okay. Every time missionaries get around me, for real, I start hysterically laughing. 
I mean, like they're telling me a joke, I don't, you know, and then they start laughing too and think, oh, we've never met anybody that's like you. That's kind of weird. Nobody laughs at our gospel like this. Oh, and then they, and then they think, okay, the fun's over. And then they start talking and I keep laughing and laughing and laughing. And then they're getting confused. Then they start getting really frustrated. And it, they don't know because there's nothing in their handbook to tell them, how do you, you know, how do you convert somebody that's hysterically laughing? How, how do we handle this? They don't know how to handle it. Wow, that's that's wild. Do it. If you just laugh and laugh, because I did it at a bishop's house. Oh, man, I've never seen a bishop get so mad because I was invited, and he was talking to me and my brother. It was a while ago, a long time ago, and we were just, I was laughing so hard. I mean, I had tears coming down my everything. Joseph Smith, this, I would just bust up laughing. <laughs> I just, you know, and he goes, what's so funny? He goes, it's just all funny. I said, it's, he goes, what do you think this is, like a big joke? And I said, well, it sounds like a joke, a fairy tale. And he just got mad because yeah. I was laughing so hard. But really quick here, Mitt Romney, if he becomes president, let's say he does, the ACLU, they want to um, legalize polygamy. Let's say in this state they legalize polygamy and they pull out Section 132, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we get it. But then the followers are going to ask, well, what about the old people who, you know, from past and present that, you know, were polygamists or salvation because of 132? I bet you they'll come up with a secret type ceremony. Oh, yeah, this is baptism for the, like a baptism for the dead. If that happens, we're going to take this videotape, we're going to take it to the prophet guy and say, how did, how did this kid predict this? Is he a prophet? All right. Hey, Jason, you have some very unique ideas. I do. My mind's way out there. I, I can, can tell, man. One day and tell you my ideas. Your mind would blow. You'd be like, oh, my goodness. Well, I look forward to that someday. <laughs> one day we will. I just, I just, I just, the reason why I don't meet a lot of people, because a lot of people, they get the wrong assumption about me, because, you yeah. know, I've got the long hair, and I'm into hard music, and I'm just, I'm hyperactive. Hey, Jason. Huh? Do you, do you ever go to church? I used to. To the Mormon Church. I went to the um, Assembly of God down here in North Salt Lake, but it's just some stuff happened, and I just uh. hey, come to Lord's Word, and just uh, afterward we can talk. But just go to or any church that is Christian. Just go. Just keep in that. It will help those rough edges. That that you know, it'll help you. A lot of people say, you know, I can go on stage and be like one of these uh, stage preachers. I mean, I easily can, but you know, I just I don't. Ah, I just, talented young man. All right, brother, I really appreciate the call. All righty, thank you. Thanks, Jason. Bye. Bye-bye. You got to love Jason. I mean, come on. He's the real deal. All right, we're going to Shane. Shane from Linden. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you doing? Hey, a great show uh, last week. I'd like to see those, other, <laughs> those women back. They were wonderful. Yeah, they were. Very informational. And uh, my question is, it's... Uh, 20, was that 23 beers for the group or just one guy? It was one guy. <laughs> All right. You have a good day, bud. All right. You take Thanks. care. Great show. Bye. Bye-bye. Not me either. I don't, I don't drink it. Okay. We're going to Connie uh, from Sandy on line one. Connie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, Sean. This is Connie Hardy. Hey, how are you? Hey, great. I'm fourth-time caller. I've missed the last couple of shows, but I would like you to know I really do look forward to watching your show every week, and I just have a couple of comments and one question. Okay. okay. First of all, my comments are, I've lived in the same home for over 20 years. Every beginning of the month, we have the church come for the fast offerings. I've never once given them any money, and I just wonder, 
you know, how long does it take before they finally just realize that you're not going to give them the money? And second of all, I am a member of the church, by the way. And the second comment is, I would just, at the risk of sounding extremely rude, I would like to refer to the LDS missionaries as door-to-door -door salesmen. Okay. Other thing is, is, on previous shows, I've often heard you ask for somebody in the higher-up presidency part of the church to actually call you and converse with you. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you ever had that happen? No, never. Never? No. Nope. Well, that's too bad. I know. I would, I would love to have uh, somebody on who represents the church. Again, I'll make a public uh, uh, invitation to anybody who represents the LDS church. You're welcome on the show. I'll treat you with respect. I, will, I won't yell at you like I do callers sometimes. I'll let you finish your sentence. But I will ask you and stay on the hard stuff. But you're welcome to come here and prove me wrong to your congregants who watch the show. You're welcome to come here and say I'm wrong and that's not right. I would love for you to do it. Bob Millett, who uh, goes around and tours around and gives these shows, and, and he presents his version of Mormonism. I'd love for Bob Millett from BYU to come on the show. He has a, a YouTube uh, blip on uh, YouTube on the Internet now where he uh, secretly tells, uh, or not secretly, but he's in a classroom and he's telling BYU students how they need to answer the question, not the question that was asked, but the question that should have been asked. And he tells these BYU students that they know more about God than anybody who would question their faith. And, uh, he, and yet he gets up in these public forums and he talks about how much we're alike. And, oh, I don't know, I think I'm saved by grace. And, and he has these books that talk about it. And yet, uh, uh, there's uh, in his own neighborhood where he lives, he'll actually go to people's homes. I know of somebody whose home he goes to who was looking into leaving the church because of information and went to their house personally to persuade them to stay in Mormonism. And yet, I don't know why he would do that if we're all the same and if you know his religion's the same as, as anybody else's. It's just, it's just hypocrisy. I'm sorry I'm on a soapbox, but these guys, I wish any of them, I'll buy them, Denny's Diet Coke and they can sit here or Denny's water and we can sit here and we can talk and it's a great point Connie also as far as being door-to-door -door salesmen they are they are selling a religion and there are a certain percentage of people who buy into it right and what was your first comment my well I just uh, talked about the fast offerings I just oh, think it's weird you that's know, they, another thing fast uh, offerings the LDS church is always complaining that churches are just out after money. They pass a plate around. How dare they? Those preachers for hire and, and all this terrible, filthy lucre that the Christians are all after. They send out little deacons to knock on your door and hand you an envelope on a once a month to fill it with money, even if you don't even attend the church. Right. I mean, they, they beg for money more than anybody. They have you sit down at the end of every year with a bishop who says, do you want to enter the temple and, and be sealed for time and all eternity and reach the highest level of heaven? If you do, you have to pay your tithing. I mean, it's they are our money center. They just do it in a different way. Well, you know, I just, I just want to say one last thing with you, Sean. Yes. I really love your program. I really, I've learned a lot, and, you know, I, I'm excited that somebody can actually go on TV and really talk about what the church really is. Because I've, you know, even though I've, I've not been active in the church for a lot of years, but I was when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I just want you to know I've learned more watching your show than I ever did when I went to church for all the years I went. And so I thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thanks for the call, Connie. You bet. Good call. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Andy on line three. Andy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Listen, um, I, I thought that you'd be interested just based on the topic tonight. Uh, and a, a good friend of mine and yours, um, this is Andy C., 
a good friend of mine and yours uh, lives next door to a computer programmer who works for the the LDS church. And and at a party one night, he was quite proud of a software program that he helped write that does fully automated missionary placement. Wow. They're totally, they're so overloaded with missionaries at this point worldwide that they they can't have a a human authorized process any longer. And so this software will now, based on just basic information, um, history and, and, um, you know, skills and, and knowledge, will we'll help them now completely automated placement of, of missionaries. So, so now when the missionary process is done, it's, it's reviewed by humans, but it's completely automated placement. Ingenious. I thought I'd let you know. Oh, that update. great call, Andy C. Thanks. No problem. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Hey, that is a great piece of information. And if anyone knows information systems, it would be Andy C. I trust that. So uh, essentially, those of you who didn't catch it, the church now, missionaries, when you send your papers in, there's a computer that's going to tell you where you're going to spend your two years. It's not the prophet receiving revelation. It's a computer. All right, bravo for that piece. Oh, goodness. Sarah on line two, a first-time caller. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, I just have a question. Yes. Um, I'm just curious. I just tuned into your show for the first time tonight. Before you ask, I have to tell you, almost every Sarah who calls, almost everyone, has been very angry at me. But go ahead. Oh, no, I'm not angry. Um, I don't have a religious preference. Um, I'm just curious, though. Do you, do you just bash other religions? Sarah. Yeah? That word bash is... I'm just curious why you care what the Mormons or the Catholics or any religion is doing. Why is that so important? Shouldn't you be focusing on on my own? On yeah, yeah, on your own, you know, religion. Well, let me tell you, I spent 40 years as a Latter-day Saint. I paid tithing. I served. I sacrificed my time and my family and time with my children for it. I believed in its precepts. I spent two years, or actually a little bit less than two years because they cut the missions short in my time, uh, going door to door telling people what had been taught to me. I served in bishoprics and elders quorum president and stake high councils and I gave talks and I influenced people who trusted in what I said and I, uh, with information I had been fed and disbelieved. And when I came to understand who Jesus was, I realized the absolute deception that goes on and how it puts all the people I love in chains. And so as a result of that, I, for some way in God's knowledge only, I have got a television show now and I have the opportunity to share those things that many Latter-day Saints don't know. Hmm. And so that's why, I, that's why I do it, Sarah. I'm just curious why you don't focus on your religion, why you, I hear more about other, you know, I, I, t- tonight it's been the Mormon church, I don't know if it's other churches. No, it's always the Mormon. Other nights, but I'm just curious why you focus on... Well, I just told you. ...bashing other religions. Okay, well, and yeah, I, I guess that's... I mean, from what... It's, 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 I just think you would do better off if you focus more on your beliefs... Well, you have to... ...instead under- of your disbelief. Okay, then why did Paul... Talk to just, the Jews. I just want to know why you put so much energy into something why like did, that. Why did Paul... I mean, I've been ripped off before, you know, by certain people, by yeah. certain I agencies. Think Sarah's more... And, you know, it makes you mad, but what, what can you do? I mean, people are going to believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do. Listen, Sarah... I just feel like Sa- if you focus more on what you believe... Were you on that plane with me last week? what you don't week? believe? 
I, I just think you would Sarah have more success. Sarah, why did Jesus tell us to go out into all parts of the world and to share the gospel? You know, I don't know. Like I said, I have no religious preference. I don't know. Well, I don't have maybe, any maybe, to anything. Well, maybe you I are, just, I just, by watching your program, I wouldn't, I mean. You wouldn't what? No, anything you believe. What do you believe? Well, I do. And so far, I've heard a lot about what the Mormons believe and but, a lot about their church, but I haven't heard anything about you. Sarah, that's not what the show's about. I have other show. I have another show that we talk about what I believe. We have a church where we teach only the Bible. This is just part of the ministry that we do, and it's oh, to okay. and it's to reach the Mormons in the Mecca of Mormonism, where the predominant religion of this state is Mormonism. And I happen to have been Mormon, so I know that topic, and that's why I do what I do in this state in the way I do it. Okay, just curious why you feel like bashing other religions is helping yourself. I, I don't think it's necessarily helping myself, but I hope it's helping them. You know? Okay. Okay, Sarah, thank you so much. Answered. Thank you. Okay, bye. We're going to Christine, uh, second time caller on line one. Christine, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hi, Sean. I have two things. Yes. One is a comment on your show last week for Sandra and and Doris, when I called for the very first time, and oh. so excited to say that I think they should go out of the state of Utah and teach about polygamy and the truth that they know, because I was born in Ohio, oh. and what we know of Mormons, if they show up at your door, is what they, they tell you. Right. That's so not the truth. Right. And the other thing I have is a question. Yes. And I'm not sure if they baptize at the age of seven or eight, but I thought that was their age of accountability. Yeah. So eight. how is it it's okay to have a homosexual activity up until the age of 15? That's a really good question. Maybe they think there's a period of hormonal transition where, you know, they, they don't really know what's going on. I don't know why they choose 15. I don't know. I mean, what if he had it when he was 14 years old, 364 days? I mean, who knows? I, these rules drive me nuts. But they've set that date, so uh, I don't know. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Hey, and the age is eight of accountability unless the child hasn't matured to the point. And so it's not a in concrete eight eight years old. It's just kind of that's the age when they start to really look at them to do it. And generally, most kids are baptized at eight. The more holier children and the more holier the parents, the closer to the eighth birthday that the children do it. Oh, well, I wouldn't want to be confused on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. We're going to Linda and Kearns. Linda, you're in Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Really good. Hey, I just had a comment to make on the call from Connie. Yes. She was worrying it, or talking about the fast offering and how they won't quit coming uh -huh. to her house to collect offerings. My husband and I just wrote on a post-it note that we didn't want them to come anymore and stuck it in the envelope, and they quit coming. Wow. The post-it And also I had a comment response. on the tithing. I, the 10% tithing, I just think it's interesting because the tithing in the Bible is for widows and orphans. Yeah. And the church just takes their tithing and builds buildings yeah. unto themselves, in my opinion. Yeah. Bigger buildings, and then with that generates more tithing because they build those temples with tithing dollars, and then 
more people have to pay to go into those temples. It's just a great business model. Yeah, they're card-carrying Mormons, and yep. they have to pay for their little piece of plastic. There you go. Anyway, I just thought that was something I thought I'd just bring to your attention. Great call. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. Great job. Thanks. Remember, uh, if you want to know how to get off the, uh, the, tie, the fast offering list, uh, just post note, please don't come here anymore, and they'll stop according to our last caller. We're going to Clarence on line three. Clarence, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you doing? Good, Clarence. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I just want to say, uh, first off, I really like your show. I Thanks. try to watch it every time it's on. And um, I have a lot of respect for what you're doing. And I think, uh, I think it's a tough job to do. Thanks, Clarence. Um, there's a verse that I wanted to comment, or that I wanted to, to give uh, by Brigham Young um, okay. from the Journal of Discourses, and then I just wanted you to comment on it. Okay. And I, I think it's a contradictory to what came later, but here it is. On December of 3rd, I think, 1854, in the Journal of Discourses, uh, second chapter, verse 143, um, Brigham Young said that uh, this is on the uh, issue of the blacks and the priesthood. Uh -huh. When all the other children of Adam have had the privilege of receiving the priesthood and of coming into the kingdom of God and of being redeemed from the four quarters of the earth and have received their resurrection from the dead, then it will be time enough to remove the curse of Cain and his posterity. 1978, it was uh, Spencer Kimball who, um, I guess, got a uh, revelation or something of God that right. removed that curse. And I thought those two seem contradictory. They are contradictory, and we're going to bring out a lot of quotes about uh, black people and the priesthood. When we get to that in church history, it'll be coming up in the next uh, three or four weeks. But uh, it's a really good quote. You're bringing up a good one, and we'll talk a lot about that when we get to it uh, so I can be a little bit better informed and deal with the facts. But... You pulled out a good one. Brigham Young said, you know, all this hyperbole, and Spencer W. Kimball said, no, nope, they're okay. And uh, so we'll talk about it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. And so um, I just want to say keep up the good work. Thanks, Clarence. See you later. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Nick, first-time caller. Nick, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi, Sean. Hey, Nick. Hey, I got a question uh, for you. Uh, Actually, it was regarding a comment you made a while ago, uh, actually probably a couple of shows ago. By the way, your show is great. Thanks. Uh, it was regarding the Sabbath. You said that the Sabbath uh, day and circumcision were done away with uh, when, uh, as I read through the Bible, it seems like the Sabbath was not done away with. It's still part of the Ten Commandments. It's still part of the Decalogue. Uh-huh. So... Uh, I can see that the circumcision was done away with, but not the uh, uh, fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Yeah. Sure. In context, uh, I think if you look at the Sabbath day relative to the Gentiles and the Christian church, you'll find that the Sabbath day, we didn't make those uh, obligations and covenants with God. That's the nation of Israel. And we have a show called The Sabbath Day last year, 2006, that you can go and archive it and just watch it online for free. 
And I think that will list all the reasons why I stand by the fact that the Sabbath day it pertains to the uh, Jews and the Lord's day pertains to the Christians. And, uh, and long story short, with three minutes left, that's how I justify it. But you can email me and we can talk back and forth if you want more specifics. Uh, one well, more thing, if you remember the Sabbath was set uh, at the beginning uh, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says, and he rested on the seventh day. Yeah. This was before the Jews even existed. Yeah. Again, if you watch that show, you'll see all my arguments. I think it takes in everything that you would bring up here. Oh, I, I will. I will. Yeah. Check that out and then call back and see if you still have dispute. Oh, definitely. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for the call. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, I think I just lost somebody. We have two minutes. Let me read an email from Sethi. Sethi says, I may have read this before. I don't think I did. I cannot believe that one day you believed Joseph Smith to be a prophet, seer, and revelator. Now you call him a liar. That seems a little like a hypocrite to me. I also don't understand another thing. I have a testimony of prophets. You had one at one point too, unless you lied to your bishop and stake president. So you used to have one, and now you changed your word, and you're saying, no, they are all liars and are unbiblical. Please explain yourself. It's just like saying that you love your wife, and then you go on having sexual relations with the lady next door. Well, Sethi... Uh, I think the better parallel would be, I say I love my wife, and I say I'm devoted to her, and then I come to find out that my wife's a man, and uh, my wife, uh, she is not a woman, she's, uh, she's a murderer too, and uh, she also lies about every single thing under the sun. Now, I loved my wife when I thought her under a certain way, but when the facts came out, my love died, okay? And so it's not hypocrisy, Sethi. Oh, I like your name too, Sethi. It's not hypocrisy when you change your mind based on fact. Hypocrisy is saying, saying one thing out of uh, one side of your mouth and doing something absolutely different in, in same time and space. I grew and I learned the facts, Sethi. You can too. Go to utlm.org and you can learn a lot of facts if you think that I am errant on them. We're going to try Pat in Orem. Quickly, Pat, you're on Heart of the Matter. You have one minute. One minute? No, I'm not going to try to do it in a minute. I'll call next week. All right, Pat. Bye. Bye-bye. Darn, that kind of intriguing, huh? Tune in next week to see what Pat has to say. All right. Uh, do we have any other calls? I don't see them, so I can go to another email quickly. Uh, Sean, I think your stand on hell should be reviewed. Hell is not something that you should be timid about. God's word speaks of hell literally. In fact, the Bible references hell more than heaven. You are not doing anyone a justice by being passive about hell, for you must get a person for you must first get a person lost before you can get them saved. This is from Chase, who's a Christian. Chase, I'm not soft on hell. I believe hell's a reality, but uh, I think you're referring to our website where I say that hell's a reality, but remember God is a merciful God. I think there's some people who uh, get all wrapped up in hell and forget about heaven. And I just like to focus on the charity and love of God. Hell's a reality, and I don't deny that. And I hope that helps uh, soothe your concerns about the ministry. Remember, Denny's tonight at, uh, I mean, Denny's tonight is pastor in the pub. We'll see you there uh, tonight. <laughs> God.